scene with the baby where we're baptizing uh, Leslie's, actually not really doing it, but we're acting out the baptism for, for Leslie's child, uh, that we did that about five or six times to get it exactly the way Alex wanted it in this video. Uh, and that water's really cold, and that baby was the happiest baby in that whole time. You would, usually cold water and that age baby does not go together, but it went fine. He just, he just kept handling it really well. Pastor David asked me a good long time ago when we decided that when it began to happen that uh, the knowledge came to pass that I was going to be moving to be a district superintendent here uh, this July uh, 1st. Those who don't know, that's happening. Pastor Mike Ramsdale on that that journey. And uh, that he said, I want you to do this series, Confessions of a Pastor. Uh, I want you to have four weeks. I want it all to be yours for that period of time. Uh, We've been talking about that for some time, doing a series like that. So it's very different now considering it's been my last series here as, as a pastor in this church. But I said, yes, I'll do that. And so I'm excited to share the first in that series today. And the word is going to be about trust. Trust is the key word in the beginning of this series. Uh, as a pastor for 38 years, unique perspective and being able to look back all those years in my ministry, my life, my family. 21 years here. Uh, 20 years as senior pastor. In the last year I gave that role to Pastor David. And again, the bishop called me recently to say, I want you to be a district superintendent. So I'm moving into that role, which actually works with a bunch of churches in the years ahead. So I'm excited about that. No sad about leaving here. The words I selected are from the book of Nehemiah. I picked Nehemiah for a reason. Nehemiah was a young guy who was serving where he lived. Everything is going just like he wants it. And God calls him and moves him to a new place. And that new place is going to require a great deal of trust because it's all a mystery. Going to Jerusalem, he's never been there. Lead people he's never led. Build a wall he doesn't know how to build. It's all new for him as he begins preparing the way for 500 years later, the birth of Christ in that very same city. So it's a unique, unique thing what he's doing. And it begins with words that he says as he becomes aware of his world that he's in. He prays these words. When I heard these things... I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And the response is, God's going to send me to Jerusalem. As God sent me to be a pastor. Making that connection. Uh, and it began for me uh, in a, a, a small town in uh, central, central west Texas named Bangs. Those know where Bangs, Texas is. I was 25. My wife was 21. We already had two little kids, two months old and six months old, and we arrived there, and it begins. And the very first day, I have all kinds of things I think is going to happen as a pastor. Here's my journey. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm all excited about my first sermon. I get ready for that one. It's coming that weekend, you know, and, and we're actually going to move into a brand new sanctuary. The very first Sunday, I'm going to be in a new sanctuary. Seats 200 people had just been completed. So it's kind of pretty cool to do that. And then I get a call. Uh, there's a man in our church who's been working for months to make a new pulpit for the church. And he was making it for the, the pastor who had been there. He even measured it based upon his height to make it fit him perfectly. It was solid oak, uh, hand-carved. Uh, there were no nails in it. It was all glued to make it very special, very ornate. And the whole church was anticipating that new pulpit. And he had called and said, I'm going to burn this thing today. Because he was so mad, the old pastor had left. So angry about how he'd been treated. Now, he needed to move for a number of reasons. He had done some things that required he needed to move somewhere else. But he didn't know any of that. He just was mad. 
And someone told me, if you call him, maybe he won't burn the pulpit. My first act as a pastor at 25 years of age, brand new, right out of Bible college, where you tell people about Jesus is, get this guy not to burn the pulpit. If you come and get it today, I won't burn it. And so we managed to get that pulpit that day. It was installed. It's still there today, 38 years later, that pulpit is. Now, here's even a better part of the story. Many years later, I'd long since left that church, uh, and I was walking down the hallway of a hospital. I believe it was Baylor Hospital in Dallas. And I hear his name was A.B. His wife's name was Luella. And I heard Luella's voice saying, Brother Mike. They call you Brother Mike in those little country churches back then, even still today. Brother Mike, Brother Mike. And, and I, there she is. She says, A.B.'s here. He's dying of cancer. Will you come pray for him? And so I got to go in that room and prayed for uh, uh, A.B. there in that room many years after the other story. And I want you to see the stories we think are stories, this moment, that event, that action, that silly thing is much, much, much more than we might imagine as we trust God and understand this is the kingdom of God. This is God's kingdom. I'm mad. I want to burn this pulpit. Young pastor, please don't. We need it. A prayer Friendship, up and down relationships, craziness, wonderful moments, sad moments. But God's working in all of it because God's always doing something. It's what the church is about. Now, I want to say a few words about pastors. Not just, uh, not just me, but all pastors. And we have many pastors in our church. Pastor Johnny, you saw a moment ago. Pastor Dave, of course, our senior pastor here. Many other pastors. We have one, uh, Lauren, is about to become a pastor, local pastor, beginning her journey into full ordination. So exciting things are happening for, in her life. So this is for pastors. Pastors have this unique thing where we, we find ourselves in situations nobody else would be in or would want to be in. We run to the place where tragedy happened. We run to where the fire is burning. We, we run to the need that exists. We, we run to the, the grief, the hurt, and the hopes, and the joys, and the celebrations of people and life and death and everything in between. We find ourselves there. We, we run there. Uh, many years ago in this church, uh, I was uh, the senior pastor, of course, at that time. We were doing this event in the community. Uh, we had one high school at the time where we would go uh, with a police officer in the police officer's car. We work with the high school. We go to families and we would tell them as a learning experience for the school uh, and, for the, and for the kids and the families that driving is dangerous. So it was my job to go with the police officer to a home, prearranged, child was fine, but to tell the parents your child was killed in an automobile accident last night or this morning. And again, they hadn't been, but it was a way of communicating we needed to be safe, worry about our kids, be careful when they drive, help them know to be careful as well. That's part of the conversation. So we were doing that. Not easy to do that, by the way. Parents often cried, even though they knew you were coming. Uh, They knew that this didn't really happen. Just to think about possibility of that was devastating to many, many moms and dads in those circumstances. As we're doing that, made a couple visits. Uh, before cell phones, uh, there was a call over uh, his radio. And a 16-year-old girl had, uh, had some kind of health issue, a possible heart attack, been taken to a trauma unit in a local hospital in the Arlington area. Mansell Hospital was not here at that time. And I recognized the name. I knew her, I knew her family belonged to this church. So I said, take me to my car. 
and the, the fellow here with us is a member of this church. He was a, a patrol officer then. There was a commander, I think, vice something or other in the commander in the police department today. But he took me to the car, and I got in my car, went to the uh, hospital, one of the first ones to arrive. In fact, I was able to be there in the trauma unit where they were giving her CPR. Uh, so I was inside when, when that was happening. They're sitting on her chest and giving her CPR, nurses and everybody running around like crazy. And I knew already, I think we've lost her. I think she died. And sure enough, she had passed away. It was one of those moments that you can't believe you're in the middle of. And yet you have to be there because you're a pastor. And pastors are there in those moments. And so after that, with the family, mom and dad, the only, her, their only child, only daughter, you can imagine, how devastating it was. Funeral home, the journeys, the conversations, the prayers, the quiet moments, the teary moments, the uh, really no joyful moments. Uh, services came. We had them in the, the Family Life Center, uh, the gym now. Uh, then this building was not here at the time. So we went over there. I remember reading uh, her Bible where she had underlined lots of Bible verses throughout the Bible. She just covered that Bible. with, And so we just read the stuff that she had had told us, and so she told us about her life and belief and her faith, and that was pretty cool to do that, you know, and you can imagine what that's like, but that's not the end of the story. There's more to that story. Of course, it's heaven, but years later, I'd not seen them for a long, long, long time, mom and dad. I got a call, and the call was they had adopted. Now, they're my age, by the way. This child was late. Their daughter was late coming to them. Uh, they anticipated not having kids, and then she came like they were so thrilled to have it. She volunteered at our church, worked in our, our, uh, some of our programs we had here with our kids. She said, we've adopted a baby from China, and she's now starting the first grade. We, wanna, we want you to baptize her. So we brought her here, and we got to baptize her. And that's the, that's the whole story, not, not part of the story. And, and that's the kingdom of God too. And that's, that's how it works. And we're talking about that God is always doing something. And please hear this. In the reality of every Christian, certainly pastors, we cannot isolate from the reality of this world. So hear me say that again. We may want to may wish we could, that's painful, that's confusing, that's difficult, that's traumatic, I don't want to do it, but we cannot isolate from the pain and the reality of this world, of its sin, of its need, of its hurt, of its hopes, of its people, of the life and death, and again, everything in between. We cannot do that, and we have to do this. Hear these words very carefully. Trust, and that's the word for today, That's the hardest thing for me to have learned to do, and I'm still learning to do as a pastor. Trust is not about a guaranteed outcome. It's trusting God with that outcome. I'm going to say it again. Trust is not about a guaranteed outcome. It's trusting God with that outcome. And after 38 years, 21 years here, I'm in a unique place to be able to look back and see all that and see God's defined the outcome all these years And he's always said, Mike, just trust me. Just trust me. I'm doing something. I may not know what it was until afterwards. I can see what it was now in many ways, in many circumstances, many stories. A.B.'s story, this family story I just told. And also you see that in your story as well if you think at all about what God's doing in your own life. God's always doing things. Nehemiah, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. I mourned, fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. And he finds himself to Jerusalem. 
rebuilding a city, a broken down wall, rebuilding a, a nation, Israel, from which five centuries later, Jesus will be born just down the road in Bethlehem. That's the miracle God is doing. All he knows is he said yes. And he's building a silly wall around a broken down city in an obscure country in the middle of nowhere. That's how God works. When I came into ministry, uh, Jesus had saved my soul and my life. As a very young man, 20 years old in the Navy, God touched my heart, gave my life to Christ, and God led what was next. Thank you, God, for that. He interceded in a broken life and made that life whole. He'll do that for you as well. Just ask. That's what Jesus specializes in. Went to Bible college, ready to go to seminary, uh, so I could tell others that Jesus would also do the same for them if they just asked. So that's what I wanted to do. Well, we're about to get out of college again, married. Uh, we have two very small children, two, two years old and six months old. Don't do it that way, but it's the way we did it. <laughs> Not easy to do uh, there in college. And it was the end of our financial resources. I have no idea what's next. I've got to go to seminary, got to find money, find a job. There's no hope for a church or any kind of serving God in a, in a paid position. It was, I was told that, thought that, believed that. But we find ourselves there getting to an urgent time. I'm graduating in a week or so. We're in church on a very small church in that community on, in Missouri on Wednesday night. And Rhonda and I are holding hands. My wife's name is Rhonda. And we're praying, God, help us. We don't know what we're doing next. And we're just going to trust you with whatever is going to happen. Lord, direct that. And we knew what we wanted, but we'd given up on that. So what else might be there for us? We'll, we'll take second best if that's better, if that's all we can get. So, Lord, hear our prayer. And the usher comes up, many have heard this story, but I want you to hear it again, came up and tapped me on the shoulder, uh, again, way before cell phones, you've got a call from Texas. This was in Missouri. And so I go, uh, get on the phone, eventually have a conversation with what's called a district superintendent, which is what I'm going to be in six weeks, called me from Texas saying, we have a church for you if you'd like to be its pastor. Uh, it has a, he started out talking about the parsonage. It's got three bedrooms, it's bricks, it's got two-car garage, a nice yard, two bathrooms. We were living in a shack. You know, is, are you okay? Yeah, this is, this, this is the Taj Mahal, this is the White House he's talking about as far as we're concerned. Uh, and then he says the church is a brand new, it's just about to be built, and it pays $10,000 a year. We were living on 6000 so 10000 was like a fabulously wealthy all of a sudden. We could buy a car, you know, $10,000. And, of course, he asked, you want to pray about it first? And our answer was, we were praying about it when you called me. Yes, well, I don't care where it is. It's three hours from seminary, I don't care. You know, that's where I'm going to go. And so we said yes. And so when you talk about a call to ministry, we got a literal call to ministry on the phone. God's saying, you're going to bangs. We said, yes. And, of course, the first thing, again, was that little story about the pulpit the first day there. And, and then my preparation for my first sermon, which was, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things are going to be added to you. We're going to do fabulous things. They're all going to believe everything I say. They're going to all accept Jesus who don't know Christ. They're all going to start Bible study. We're going to change the world by, by the end of July. You know, it's going to be strikingly new, and we're going to be applying. Of course, that's not exactly how it worked. It's more difficult than I thought. Uh, there were more things going on than I thought, and, you know, how it works was more difficult than I thought. It was long after Ray, one of my friends who became a friend there, he was a coach in the community, a very successful coach. 
a big guy. And, and Ray had helped to do a lot of things. And he taught at our high school Sunday school class. Ray did. Uh, he, and he wouldn't mind me telling you the story. And Ray also uh, helped me uh, work in the, in the, the flower beds. They had nobody taking care of the churchyard. At, in country churches, they call it the churchyard. Nobody helped take care of the churchyard. It was shabby. The grass was bad. There were no flowers. Uh, just nothing there to look at. And so we, we helped plant some flowers and fertilize. And we had to actually dig a long ditch to put pipe in to actually get water there. We did all that together, Ray and I did. And not long after that, his wife decided she had someone else. And so she left him for someone else. And Ray and I talked a lot about that in that uh, few months. And I told him very quickly, knowing him well, uh, again, a coach. I said, I want you to stay, stay away from her, stay away from her new boyfriend. It won't, go, won't be a good thing for you to get around them. Well, he didn't listen to me. And he called me sometime later and said, I didn't listen to you. And I tracked them down. I found them. And I'm in jail uh, for his behavior in relation to the boyfriend. Uh, today, he'd been in jail for two or three years. Then he was in jail only two or three days. Uh, and so we had that conversation. And not long later, his, not long after, his brother, who also knew, called me on the phone, also belonged to that church, and said, uh, it's late at night, very late, maybe midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. I've got a call from Ray, and Ray's starting to take his own life. And I don't want to go, my, I don't want to, go to the house by myself. Will you go with me? And I said, yes. Because you're a pastor, you can't isolate from those things. You can isolate from moments you don't want to be a part of. You don't want to connect with. You don't want to try to fix. You're inadequate. You can't help. What am I going to do? And I don't want to do it anyway, but I have, I have to do it. And so we go. We get to the house. He says, you go in first. I don't think I could take seeing what I might see. And so I, I go in. I'm, I'm probably 27 then. I open the door. I walk in. And there's Ray sitting in the living room in a chair with a shotgun aimed at his chin. Um, and I walked up to him, and what do you do? Grabbed the gun, pulled it aside, other hand on him, and just prayed for him. I don't know what I said, but I prayed something. You know, I prayed for him. Then his brother came up and grabbed the shotgun, pulled it away. And the rest of the story, though, is more than that. There's, more, there's always more to the story. There's always God doing something, even in the most difficult, crazy, unbelievable moments in our life, your life, family life, married life, church life, preacher's lives, all of our lives, around the word, trust me, please trust me. And uh, not some time later, I'd moved to another church and hadn't been gone very long, and he called me and said, I'm getting married. Uh, I've moved to neighboring town, and I found a, a wife, a woman there that, that's a great person for me, and so I went out there and did his wedding. Uh, he had kids and she had kids and I hoped it worked and, and sure enough it did. They're still married today and that was like probably 35 years ago. And Rhonda and I go through that town not terribly long ago. We stopped at the local grocery store there just to see. We shopped there a lot. So we said, oh, we'll go get some Cokes in there and maybe somebody, somebody we know. Uh, and we did. We saw the owner who went to our church. She's uh, probably in her 70s and she was young back then but she was managing that store. And there was Ray. Ray had been a uh, coach for many, many years, very successful as a matter of fact coach. He graduated from McMurray University years before. Uh, and he was there working part-time to do something and help with a few bills. And we visited about his life and his family and his marriage. And things were going so well through all. You know, there's always more to the story of what God is doing. Trust is not about a guaranteed outcome. It's trusting God with the outcome. And that's the amazing story with Ray there. 
But again, I'm going to tell people, I'm seek God's kingdom first. It's going to be amazing, and we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to pray a lot, and we're going to have the Spirit's going to fall in the church, you know, and we're going to sing together. We're going to, you know, no, no, again, not exactly how people are. How many know that's not how people always are? And if that's not how people are, then that's not how the kingdom of God is either. Ask Jesus who he served, how he served, what he did, how he interacted, how God worked in his life, small things, little bitty things, and amazing things like dying for the sins of the world. That same church got a call from a sister. Uh, There were two sisters, but one talked to me on the phone. Uh, They were what's called in those days old maid school teachers. Don't use that term today, please. Uh, Then it was a common thing to use. They never married. They were living together in the same home, pulled their bills, came to church almost every Sunday, were probably in their 70s at that time. And the one that called me was in actual, absolutely panicking over the phone. So when you're panicking, when you're in crisis, well, you call the pastor. And so she called me. And here was the crisis. They had a little dog that was their pet. And she found out, going in her backyard that morning, it's very early in the morning, and there was under a bush, there was a bunch of brand new puppies. And she told me that somebody has thrown puppies in our yard. <laughs> Threw all these puppies into our yard. And we don't know what we're going to do. We're, again, panicking. Well, could you come by? Okay, I mean... It's the kingdom of God. That's how the kingdom of God works, I guess. You just say yes, and where is it going to take you? You don't know, but you say you've got to trust God, and somehow he's working in this crazy mess. So, so I go out there, and I discover very quickly there's a handful of puppies here in a, in a bush, under a bush, and there's your little female dog walking through the yard. And, and how many know you can tell when a dog has just had puppies? Uh, their dog had had puppies. And so I go in the house. They're both sitting there. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And, and they're really, really panicking. And, and, I, say, and I, I told them, those puppies belong to your dog. And their response is, our dog wouldn't do that. <laughs> and I said, well, your dog did. And they said, how did that happen? You need to ask somebody else to answer that one for you. But I'll tell you, it did happen. Uh, Those puppies belong to your dog, and they are now your responsibility. You have to do something with those puppies, you know, and you you find yourself in those situations, you know. And and, and at the time, you think it's crazy, but when the reality is, that's okay. That's how God's working in in friendships. They had nobody else to call. I'm the pastor in small town. What are we going to do beyond their ability to really figure out for whatever reason? We saw that issue. We found a place for the puppies to go as they got a little older. We were able to give them away, and everything's okay. And I'm sure they gave their dog a good talking to after this experience. <laughs> in that same town, there was Mary. Mary had a, uh, a chihuahua, a long-haired chihuahua. And, that, and she was not a very liked person. Nobody liked Mary. She was hard to get along with, complained a lot, a little bitter. That's kind of how Mary was. Uh, but I'm her pastor, and so... I'm part of her life, whether, you know, you want to be or not. That's how it goes. And so, and so Mary called me one day, and this dog was all she had. It was her life. I knew that. I'd been by a few times to see her. And uh, she called me and had just recently heard about what's called, very familiar today, the parvovirus. Then it was just brand new. They were just hearing about it. She was convinced, if I don't get that dog vaccinated today, it's going to die tomorrow. Then I won't have anything. So again, she called panicking. Who do you call? You call the pastor. You know, he's got to help me. 
And so she called me and said, will you go take my, I can't do it. I, she didn't drive, didn't have a car. Will you take the dog to my vet? I've already called and give, get his shot so he'll be okay. Now, my thought was, that dog hates me. I'd seen that dog before. And anybody here have Chihuahua? Any Chihuahua lovers here? Okay, well, Chihuahuas can be really vicious. You know, their teeth are small, but they can get them after you, and they don't like people many times other than their owner. And that dog would just be snarl and, and snap and, and try to bite you it was, and just do everything that it could to get you, get to you when I would see that dog. Uh, and so I go prepared with my coat to throw over the dog so I won't get bit. And so I go in there snarling, snapping, vicious little critter, I mean, you know, uh, uh, and I put that uh, coat over there and wrapped it up and carried it out to my car. As soon as I got out the door, it was a happy dog. In fact, I was able to take the coat off. It sat in my arms. It just licked, licked my, under my chin and sat in my lap all the way there looking out the window. Happy little puppy chihuahua, you know, not looking very much because, you know, can't quite get to the window still, but trying to look out the window. And ha- even the shot was fine. It's okay with this little shot. Uh, and then happy all the way back. And I get into the door. We're the best buddies when I get back to the house until I walk in the door and it sees its owner right from my throat. <laughs> you know? You know, you know, it's about family, and that's all good. That's all good because that's, what, that's how God works in those relationships. And the, some of the smallest things are where God's doing the greatest work in lives and families and love and soul and salvation and the church of Jesus Christ that includes doing amazing things around the world as well as which we do here. It's a perfect place to discover who we are and who God is and what that relationship looks like in the church. Being a pastor, being a Christian, uh, church not organized around structure, but around what God is doing just in lies, in small ways, big ways, amazing ways. It's what God is doing. In Bible college, uh, again, I mentioned that earlier, we already had two kids, and we were uh, scraping by financially. I had a job, the GI Bill, but two kids and a wife. It wasn't easy to do, paying college. And all that goes to that. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, we're in a situation again in church, and Rhonda and I, I think Rhonda led this one. Rhonda said that my wife's name is Rhonda. Rhonda said, we just need two bucks for bread. That's all. Just two dollars. We'll be fine for another couple of days. We get two dollars for bread, and we don't have two dollars. You know, I'm getting paid later, but no money. And so she said, let's pray. And so we, we prayed, and I think she led that. We prayed, Lord, $2 is all. We're not asking for a million dollars. It's $2, you know. As we're getting ready to leave, there's a little old lady comes up to us there in that very small church, takes my hand, and there's paper in her hand, I think. And I look, it's not paper, it's money. She's trying to give that money to me, and I'm trying to give it back, trying to give it to me, I'm trying to give it back. This little lady can't afford to give me money. She said, God told me to give this to you. Take it. So I took it. It was $2, $2. About 10 years ago in this church, we were at a, a, a time of financial crisis. That happens in every church, by the way. It's not that unusual, but it was very difficult right then. Heading into summer, not the time you want to be behind. We were behind not $10 or $2, but by uh, several hundred thousand dollars. We were getting ready to, to build this building, to expand this building, to add our atrium, and some other projects we were doing, we were expanding rapidly. And it was a time where I thought, what are we going to do? We can't, I had done everything I knew to do to try to increase the giving, to try to handle the financial issues. We were running behind, heading into summer. I was questioning my leadership. 
Should, even, should I even stay here? Maybe I'm, I'm second-guessing my decision. Maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. Maybe I'm the, maybe not, not trusting God enough. I don't know, you know. And so I was wondering all of that. So I went to a little retreat, uh, spent, which I don't do very often. I spent several days at kind of a monastery kind of place, very small. Uh, and it had, where it had no television, no, no radio, no phones, nothing, just, just me and God. It uh, had, a, had a, a very small, small bed, old blanket, uh, and one little table you could buy, put a Bible on. That was all that was there in that place. And I spent several days there, uh, and I prayed a lot. Prayed all kinds of prayers. It wasn't just God give me a miracle. It just Lord help me through. What am I going to do? Uh, God, I'm, I'm anxious about all this stuff, you know. Uh, I got to go back. I don't know if I really want to go back to the church. I'm not sure I want to walk back in that building. It's going so bad right now. There are a lot of people here, but there wasn't enough money. And what are we going to do? And, you know, when you get behind no money, it's what are you going to do, right? So I come back. I said, I'm going to drive by my office on the way home late in the evening and go to my office. And there's a little note, uh, a little post-it note. And it says, call so-and-so. And I thought, okay, I'll call him before I go home. You know, so one of those sigh calls. And so I made the call. It wouldn't be anybody that you would know here, I don't think, in the service. And I called him and he says, you know, uh, I feel like it's time for us to give some money to the church. And he said, I've got this many. Uh, and he named the stock, how many shares he had. And come by the bank in a day or so, your bank, and I'm going to make the transfer into your church. And he told me how many stock there was and this kind of stuff. And so after the phone call, I looked it up. I wonder how much those stocks are worth and how many there are and that kind of stuff. And I started adding the numbers up. $300,000 had come, changed everything. This church is what it is today because of that one single gift. You know, and, and so, but it's not a bigger miracle than the $2. Because God was working in both. Your life's the same way. God works in amazing ways and he says, just trust me. Just trust me. The hardest thing I've had to learn, and I'm still learning in the church, you too, I bet, is to trust God. Trust God with the outcome and how God works in our life. Trust is about trusting God with the outcome. It's about being willing. It's about being obedient. It's about going. When God says go, and our life. Just a few weeks ago, I was babysitting our youngest grandson, who's two years old. Little blonde-headed, happy little boy, smiles all the time. He's the smartest, best, most beautiful little boy on the planet. You know, just the way they are is my grandson. And I very seldom actually have him just by myself, but I had him for whatever reason in that moment. I was responsible for two-year-old Arthur. Uh, and I got a call. Someone I've known for 21 years was in hospice, and he was dying. And his daughter called and said, he wants you to come by to see him before he dies. And I'm thinking, what do I do? I've got a two-year-old grandson with me. And well, I put him up in my arm, and we went out to the car, and we went together to see, you know, Bill. Uh, when I, I knew him and his family, when I got there, I said, I had to bring Arthur. I'm sorry, you know. And they said, that's fine. And so some of his family watched him and played with him and talked to him. Well, I went in the bedroom there where he was with his wife and daughter and, and prayed for Bill. Did his funeral just a few days after that because he didn't live past that day. You know, and, and you're thinking, is that the kingdom of God? Yeah, it is. Little boy playing and laughing. He has no idea what's going on. 
his family kind of keeping him happy and entertaining him while I'm back there in the bedroom playing for Bill, who I've known for 21 years, and praying for Bill. You know, trust is learning to trust God with the outcome. Trust is about willingness. Trust is about obedience. And all of it's around this idea, God is always doing something. In your life, your family, this church, the world, God is always doing something and often you cannot see it. You may not know what it is, but I can look back now and see in my lifetime. So this, this is how it all works in a way I would not have known in the season sometime those events were happening. And those crises or those traumas or those silly things are those big, big things. Pastor David uh, has been our senior pastor now about a year and a half. We believe he'll be a senior pastor here for many, many years to come. A great leader, Christian man, a preacher, so many qualities he has. Uh, as a senior pastor, he, was the, he was, had that task for one month a year ago when I had given it to him, and the bishop gave it to him as well. Uh, and he, he said, I want to visit. I think it's okay if I tell you this, and he won't, won't be offended by it. But he said, you know, since I've been senior pastor, I wake up every morning at 3 o'clock. I can't sleep. I wake up. Has that ever happened to you? My response is, was a thousand times this happened to me, if not more than a thousand times. When you wake up with anxiety and control and fear and all that goes with being responsible for so many people, so much stuff, so many things, so many needs, uh, so many situations, and all of it is learning to trust God. And I give that to you. You pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you today. And we have to admit that a lot of times we do not trust you. The littlest things by just saying yes. With the biggest things by our worry and fear and anxiety and all that marks us as human beings. Today, God, wherever we are in our life, whatever situation we might be in, we're going to say, Father, we trust you. We trust you in the yeses that we should say. And those we must say, and our obedience, God, to, to be your people, and our circumstances that really have got beyond us, we trust you, God, for what was, what is, and what will be. And our prayers in Jesus' name, amen.